for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For God, you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Thank you, God, for this promise. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are in our lives and all that you've done. Thank you for the blood that you shed for my sin to wash me, cleanse me, and draw me near to you. I bless you. I honor you for this day. You are great and mighty, mighty God. You're great in my life. You're great in our lives. We will never trade you. There is none like you. I am Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Great is the Lord in whom is worthy of praise in the city. Oh, uh -huh. 
We bow down on our knees. We bow down on our become more than just those that are hearing a word, but becoming the message to the world, to this generation, in these times, in these days in which things are so confused at how desperate we are to know you for who you are. So Lord, I pray today that you speak into the lives of those that will have an ear to hear and a heart to understand. And as a result of it, Lord, we believe that you've called me for such a time as this. You've called us for such a time as this. And Lord, may we answer your call in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We praise God for those of you that's here. And also, we welcome those who are infirmed, are without transportation to arrive, and those that are outside of Metro Atlanta uh, that are watching us and receiving the word of the Lord, we trust that God has, that you will receive from him something that will make a difference in your lives. We want to continue, let's pray also for the families of the three soldiers that were killed by the drone attack in Jordan. Uh, we, we 
heard about that and we were aware of these three young individuals, African-Americans that were killed, Sergeant William Rivers, 46, of Carrollton, Georgia, which is close to us, also Specialist Kennedy Sanders, 24, Waycross, Georgia, and Specialist Brianna, Brianna, Brianna Moffitt, 23 years old, from Savannah, Georgia, all from Georgia, so by all means, we want to be in prayer for those that were killed by this drone attack, and also pray for the peace uh, in the Middle East, because this thing is uh, surmounting, it's getting uh, pretty challenging in the Middle East right now, so it requires prayer, and I believe that what we're experiencing is a fulfillment of prophecy, those things that have been prophesied uh, long ago. We're now seeing those things fulfilled in our very day. Uh, uh, this night, I, uh, this is the last day of, of the first month of 2024, the last day of, of, of uh, this new year, and this is a very special time uh, for us, for me in particular, as I'm crossing the threshold, moving into another year of, of existence and also of ministry. And this night, I'm going to talk about trust before you fully understand. This is going to follow pretty much in the same line of what I've been sharing beforehand, but God has placed my heart some things uh, as far as what goals are we setting for our lives and what goals ought we to set for our lives. One of the things that happens once we receive Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, we receive freedom from sin, uh, and that's the first phase, but then, and the excellence of holiness, there's a goal. We're freed in order to enter into something that God has for us. So we keep, we understand the freedom that's ours, free from sin, but then we set our sights on that which is before us, the excellence of holiness. What is behind us, as well as uh, what we leave behind, as well as what is before us, the thing that we strive towards. Now, uh, the Bible helps us to understand that. There are several scriptures that help us to understand it. One in particular is a scripture that's very familiar here in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, not that I've already attained. This is Paul speaking. He says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to what Paul was saying here. He begins to talk about his position. We talk about what you have been freed from. You're freed from sin, but you're not just freed from sin, merely to exist as one that's freed from sin. But God has given us a goal. There has to be something that we're aiming at, he says. And then Paul says, I have not attained that which I'm aiming at. And then he says, or am already perfect, perfected. When he says perfected, he's helping us to understand what the aim is, what the goal is. You see, you arrive there when you reach that place of perfection. He says, I'm, I, I'm no longer what I used to be, but I'm not what I'm desiring to be. I'm still working towards something. He says, I'm not perfected yet. Uh, God says, be perfect 
as I am perfect. When he talks about perfection, uh, sinless perfection, as it would be called, is being in a place where you do not sin, that you're freed from sin completely. We understand that he see, frees us from the, the penalty of sin, but then he also frees us from the power of sin, but eventually we'll be freed from the very presence of sin, so that sin will no longer be an issue as it concerns us. But Paul recognized the fact that he had not arrived there as of yet, but he doesn't just rest on his laurels based upon the fact that he had been set free and that he had moved from that state of sinfulness to a place whereby he was set free from the grips of sin. He says, I have not attained as of yet, but now I press on. He said, I press on, and he says, I'm pressing that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He said, the reason that the Lord arrested me, that's what he's given, he's given reference to. He says, the, 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 the path that I was on, the direction that I was going, he said, the Lord arrested me. He says, and the reason I use the title that uh, it is trusting before you fully understand, Paul was actually saying, I don't fully understand why the Lord arrested me. He said, he apprehended me. But there was a reason for him apprehending me. He says, so my desire is to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. I want to arrest the very purpose. We talk about embracing the greater purpose. I want to, I want to arrest the very purpose for which I was arrested. It's important to understand this. He said, that's my goal. My goal is to embrace that. I want to embrace the greater purpose. So now he says, he says, brother, I do not count myself as to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Now look at his position here as he moves forward, as he begins to progress in his spiritual journey. He says, one thing I must do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now let me clarify that because we see this thing where he says, forgetting those things which are behind. Are you saying in essence that he is to have amnesia in relation to his past? Is he to be brought to a place where the things that would come to mind. He's to act as if those thoughts never come to his mind. He says, no, to forget as far as Paul is concerned, he said, I would not allow the things of the past to, 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 to be a, a, a deterrent. It would not be that which will, will, will hinder my progress spiritually. He said, anything that was behind me, I, I'm determined not to allow it to hinder me or restrict my progress. He says, so now, forgetting those things which are behind, he says, because as long, but I must maintain focus. I must reach forward to the things which are ahead. He says, I cannot allow, I cannot digress. I cannot allow the things which are behind me. I can't allow who I was to stand in the way of who I 
am and who I'm yet becoming. That's what he's saying. I can't let anything stand in the way of who God intends for me to ultimately become because his sights are set on the ultimate objective of God, that which is much greater. That at that point that he didn't fully understand, but yet as he progressed towards that, he will gain an understanding of God's purpose for his life. He says, so I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to help us understand why it's necessary that we hear messages like you're hearing uh, tonight. Why it's necessary that you receive the instructions that God has given you right here and now. He said, let us as many as are mature. Now let's look at what he's saying here. As many as are mature. He says, the mature ones are the ones that will pursue a, a greater level of maturity. When you grow, as you are growing, you desire to grow all the more. Isn't it something when you get a child? You, you, it's different. When a child is, uh, let's say, two or three years old, you say, how old are you? I'm three going on four, right? How old are you? I'm seven going on eight. You, you see, what, what the child is really saying, he says, I'm looking forward to the future. I'm looking at the day. He said, I may be six now, but it won't be long before I'm seven. So the child is anticipating years of growth and the years ahead of him or her that they will progress. He says, now, in other words, you may see me as a six-year-old, but after a while, I'm going to be seven. So now he says, as many are mature. So now to understand that growth is necessary, that growth is something that ought to be desired, even for those of us who are spiritually, uh, we're born again, you're children of God, you begin to say, well, right now, I may understand this much, but I'm going on. I'm going on 10. I'm going on 11. I may be, uh, uh, I may be young spiritually now but I'm going on to maturity. He says, so now as men mature, he said, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained. Now he begins to deal with this, wherever you are now. He said, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So then he says, wherever state you're in, wherever you may be now, he says, understand, at least embrace that. Embrace where you are. Now, what God does, what God does, he, uh, he seals us in Christ. Uh, uh, then we're able to see, when, when God seals us, we talk about being born again. When God brings us to the place of being born again. This is something that I've been thinking about, and we're going we're to share this. When, when we're born again, then we're able to see our worthlessness without him. Now, follow me here. You, you see, before you were born again, before you, you see, spiritually, becoming spiritually awakened means that God opens your eyes to the reality of who you are. 
but yet you don't see fully as to who you are, but you get a glimpse of who you are apart from him. Now, does that make any sense? You, you, you see, beforehand, you might have been able to justify some stuff. Well, I'm, a, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm just, I need a little tweaking. I need a little something, something, something. I'll be okay. But then when God opens our eyes to the reality of who he is, then we begin to see our own worthlessness. You remember Isaiah? When Isaiah, he saw, what he, he saw the Lord. Now, how he saw the Lord is important. How he saw the Lord is important. He didn't just see the Lord like some people say, I saw the Lord. Man, last night, me and God had a conversation. Me and the Lord, were talk, we were talking such and such. No, he didn't see the Lord like some people think they saw him. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. You, you see, he saw the Lord in such a way. He saw the splendor and the glory of God. And, 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 and it, he was so overwhelming that he began to, when he saw him, he began to see himself in contrast to the Lord that he was enabled to see. You, you see, he had, and this is what I'm saying here. He had not seen himself in the proper light until first he had seen the Lord. So, so the same thing applies. We don't see ourselves in the right light, in the, through the right lenses. But when we see the Lord, he gives us lenses that will enable us to see ourselves. He said, now I saw the Lord high lifted up. His train filled the temple. And he says, and then out of seeing the Lord... Then the Lord allowed me to see myself. He says, I saw myself differently. When I saw myself this time, I said, woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. You see, he saw himself first. Then he says, now I want you to see your environment. I want you to see the world. He said, not only in contrast to the glory of God in contrast to that part of God that he was enabled to see or capable of seeing, he saw himself. He says, well, it's me. I'm a man of unclean lips in my environment. I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the Lord. Now, I want you to understand this. He saw the Lord in a vision because he, he didn't see the Lord like I see you. He saw, he had a vision of the Lord. Are you seeing this now? He had a vision of the Lord, and the vision of the Lord brought him a place where he began to say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips because now I have seen the Lord. So in the vision, the Lord uh, took the live coal from the altar, touched his lips, and, and cleansed him. When he, and, and said, who shall I send and who will speak, who will go for me? But all of this was a part of a vision that he had of the Lord. Because if he had seen all there was to see of God, he wouldn't be able to tell about it. It would have killed him. It would have knocked him stone dead. He would have died on the spot. But he saw a vision of the Lord. And he saw his worthlessness 
in contrast to God's uh, uh, greatness and his glory. So, with, uh, so what he was doing when we begin to see the Lord as he is, and, and there's been many misrepresentations of the Lord, and, and, and when he's not seeing, then people begin to see themselves in, in a way they ought not see themselves. You see, I have to go back to the old Puritans and, and some of the things that the old Puritans would write about, and even some of the old hymns that some of us would sing, you know, you know the song, um, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And, and then it said, uh, it says, for such a worth, well, such a worth, a, a wretch as I, you, you see. So, so, so in modern times, they've taken these words and they began to tweak them and, 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 and begin to extract from that things that were more palatable. He said, talk about it, for such a wretch as I, wait a minute now, I'm not a wretch. So let's take that out of the song now. Because after all, God has done something in my life, so therefore, why should I refer to myself as a wretch? So, so but, but then uh, we begin to look at several other things. He, we begin to look at Scripture where we see where without Him we can do nothing. Without Him we can do nothing. Uh, uh, without Him, the truth of the matter, without the Lord, I would be practicing deeper levels of sin than before. Are you hearing me? I, I have something. I wish I could find that sign. I had it in my office where it says that if the Lord was taken from me, he said that I would do, I, I would do more than I had done. I would do greater sins than I did before. I am, the truth of the matter is I am because he is. I am because he is. Uh, you, you see, so now when we look at that, that's why the Bible says it talks about how this light shines out of darkness, you, you see, uh, so that the sufficiency is not of us but is of God. So it's helping us to understand the contrast. It is saying that here we stand and it's not something that diminishes the strength of grace or the meaning of grace. It increases the, the, the quality of grace because it is grace in contrast to where we were before the grace of God was applied to our lives. We say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace because now I see, the, I see how great you are and now I can appreciate the grace that has been given, because that grace that's given to me is Christ within me. Now Christ can shine forth. If there's any value within me, if there's anything in and of myself independent of Christ, then I will begin to rely upon that as a resource rather than the Lord as my resource. And in this day, many people think of it as being them and the Lord. But to be honest, about this whole matter, if it was not for him, if it was not for him, then we could do nothing. So with that, we get a vivid picture of his grace is revealed in my humility. Now we have to understand the difference between humility and humiliation. There's a big difference. We talk about humility and humiliation. To humiliation 
humility is when we bring ourselves down low. When we begin to see ourselves in a lowly state. But humiliation is when we are brought down low. And, and the Bible helps us understand something of that, is that when you lift your, you see, pride comes before the fall. When you lift yourselves up, when you see yourselves as being greater, then God has to, we are humiliated in order to show us that God is greater, that whatever we may be trying to project as an image concerning ourselves. So, so, so understand what, what, what he is saying here. We begin to see ourselves in a different light. So we, are, we humble ourselves before the Lord. The Bible helps us there. Paul talked about the goal now. He talked about the goal. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now what he is saying, be content with godliness. Be content. What is the goal? The goal is holiness. The goal is righteousness. The goal is perfection. He said, he said, I'm reaching towards the goal, the goal of perfection. I am not yet perfected. The goal is perfection. The goal is to one day be as Christ is. That has to be the goal. He said, now godless, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now being content with godliness. Now I say the character of Christ being developed within us, we're content that Christ has come into our lives and that he is manifesting himself in us and through us. He says, so he says, so being content with godliness. Now it is saying, I'm going to bring some things out in this because I want you to understand to be content with godliness, it doesn't mean that you ignore all the other things that's happening within your life, but everything goes through the filter of Lord, are you, what are you doing in this? What how are you perfecting me through whatever I may be challenged with or may be going through? You see, that's the thing. Because if it's helping me to become more godly, to become more like Jesus, then that's what really matters. He says, so being content with godliness is great gain. He says, because look at the value of all things. We brought nothing into this world. We brought nothing here. So everything we have, everything that we manage we didn't bring it into the world. It came to us as a result of God providing it for us, or it was provided for us by something or someone. He said, brought nothing into the world, and he said, and it is certain you would carry nothing out. Now, you've heard many preachers say, you've never seen a, a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. He said, because you ain't taking none of this with you, but you can take your godliness with you. He says, and then he says, so now look at what you have. He says, so therefore having food and clothing, if you have some, some, something to eat, something to put on, he said, with these things, we shall be content. Now, what are you talking about? He said, be content with that. So uh, he's really saying to you that I, he has provided for us God's grace has provided for us. That now, we're going to talk about discontentment after a while. When we are always complaining, when we're always complaining about what we don't have, what we, what we don't, where we aren't, what we don't have, what we ought to have, we wish, we're comparing ourselves with others, and as a result of it, we feel as if we have been shortchanged, that the world has dealt us a, 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 a short, 
uh, deck that we've lost out of some things. He says, so now he is saying that you have food and clothing. With these things, you, should be, you shall be content. He said, but, but then he says, he says, but now we talk about where is our goal? Our goal is set on godliness. He said, but those who desire, and we talk about desire to be rich, fall into temptations and snares. He says, now if your passion is directed towards these things other than godliness, if this is where, if this is where you spend the bulk of your time in these particular things, he said, uh, what happens, it will add to many snares, temptation, fall into many temptations and snares, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. He says, for, he didn't say money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, but then it didn't stop there. It says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now look at the contrast. Look at the contrast. It says, this is where the majority of the people are. He said, we understand. He talks about the world. We brought nothing to the world. We're certain we'll bring nothing. We'll take nothing out. He says, but these are the things that are provided for you while you are in the world. He said, but when we lose focus, when we lose focus, when we're distracted by these other things, are we are more concerned about these things over and above what we ought to be concerned about? He says, what you do, you fall into temptation and a snare. I'm going to bring some points out concerning temptation after a while. Temptation and a snare. And in other words, it's temptation, a test as to where your loyalty really is. Do you really love God, or do you love these other things more than him? He said, so the temptation. I'm going to bring you in, up on even the temptation of Christ. He said, but the temptation and a snare. Now, the snare is that is a trap. It's a trap that the enemy set before you. He says, into, into many foolish and harmful lusts. Now, you're at a place where you're, you have foolish desires and passions, which drown men into destruction and perdition. Now, now he says, but you, uh, old man, flee these things and pursue righteousness. You bishop, place your hope and your trust in the Lord. Your pursuit is of such that you, I'm not perfect yet, but Lord, what, I don't know what perfection looked like. I don't know what it means to be perfect. You say be perfect. I don't have a clue. But somehow, some way, I, I, I desire that. There's something you've placed within my heart where there's a passion to get freed from. Now, the thing, from these things that will cause me to, to look in these various directions. He says, but he said, so flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. You can't fight the good fight of faith 
unless you're pursuing these things. Now, now I want you to see how we must overcome. We're going to talk about this whole thing of temptation after a while. But how we fight the good fight of faith. And as we fight the good fight of faith, we lay hold on eternal life to which you were called. Because God is saying he gives you time. And not just time, but eternal life is a timeless eternity. And you have a conf you've confessed a good confession in the presence of the Lord. Now, let's get into this because I want you to see what we mean. We, it talks about the, the, the uh, situation that happens in our lives is that we have so many options. We have so many options in life that, that we choose this or we choose that or we choose the other. We have so many options. And for the most part, we exercise whatever option makes better sense to us. This appears to be more sensible than that. Therefore, I'll do this thing over and above the other thing. Now, uh, uh, what happens as we begin to move in that direction based upon sensibility, it just makes sense. And, and, and it's more profitable for us. That's what you're talking about, problem. We can see where benefit can be derived. I can't see where there's any benefit in righteousness and holiness. and what, what I'm, I, You see, I see myself as having already uh, achieved or attained these things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Now, if he says fight the good fight of faith, flee these things and pursue righteousness, what is he saying? He is saying that these things have not been they, they've not been attained as they ought to be attained. He said there's still a level of, of, of that ought to be pursued by all of us for righteousness, godliness, faith. You already have faith. I love. No, there's a level of, of love that you've not attained as of yet. Patience, gentleness. Well, I'm already patient. I'm already, no, there's a level. You see, a greater purpose. There's a level that is still there. And then he says, and how do you get there? you got to fight the good fight. You're involved in a battle, all of us in a battle. He says, well, fight the good fight of faith so that you can lay hold of eternal life to which you were called when he called you and have, a good, have, a conf and, and have confessed the good confession. When he says the good confession, there's a good confession, there's a bad confession among the presence of many witnesses. Now, let's look at what he is saying. He says, we talked about the temptation, the temptations. There are many temptations as a result of pursuing these particular things. Now, look at the prayer that Jesus taught us, the model prayer in, in Matthew 6, uh, verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation. Don't lead us, Lord, into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. He said, Lord... Don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. He says, now we understand, the Lord does not tempt. Whenever we're tempted, don't say we're tempted of the Lord, because the Lord does not tempt anyone with evil. But now, let's go deeper into this whole thing of leading. Let's look at leading. Uh, let's look at Jesus Christ. He is our example, right? Jesus' example. So let's look at Jesus Christ and let's look at what happened to him in the fourth chapter of Matthew in verse 1. It said, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Are you hearing this? 
he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, wait a minute now. You just said. You said, uh, do, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now it said that the Spirit led Jesus. You understand? Jesus uh, came as a man, but now he's been led by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. Now, what would qualify him so that he would be tempted of the devil? I mean, wouldn't that be a contradiction if he said, don't lead us into evil? Wouldn't it be a, a, a bad example? Here the Spirit is leading him this way. But you got to read what happened before. You got to go ahead so you can understand something. It says here in the third chapter of Matthew, verse 13, it said, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized, but you know the story. But Jesus answered, you know, about being baptized. Now, when, when, when you begin to see him being baptized, when he had been baptized, baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. Now look at the criteria. The heavens are open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. It wasn't a dove now, but it descended upon him like a dove and alighted upon him. Now here's the clincher. Here's the clincher. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, listen to this, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, you got to catch this. You got to catch this. That's what God said. You see, uh, the voice came from heaven. A voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved. That's God because he says, my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. An affirmation of who he is was made at his baptism when he came up out of the water. Now, watch what happens. The temptation came after the affirmation. The temptation came after the affirmation. So now, look at what the devil says, if you are the Son of God. What did God say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What did the devil say? If you are the Son of God. If you are who God says that you are. <laughs> now, do you see the difference? If you are who God says that you are, then do these particular things. Turn stone to bread. I want you to cast yourself. Now, all these other temptations came, but they came as a contradiction to the affirmation that God had given. Now, do you see that? Because God said something about Jesus, therefore the temptation was there to disprove the fact that God's Word is true, but God allowed him to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness so that he might be tempted by the devil to for him to contradict what had been spoken concerning him. He says, so now proven time has come. If you are the Son of God, but I told you you are, but if you believe what I said, if you know what I said is true, he said, then what's going to happen when the temptation comes, you're going to shame the devil. 
You're going to shame him because, you understand, what you're going to do, you're going to, you're going to throw the word back at him, and you're going to provide even further evidence that you are the Son of God. Now, when he says, Lord, don't, uh, when he says, lead us not into temptation, don't lead us into temptations that we're not prepared to handle. Don't lead us into a situation that we are not prepared to handle. Because what happens, you see, we want to be prepared. We want God to build us up. We want God to prepare us so that, but let me tell you something. As he prepares us, guess what's going to happen? The devil will come. The devil, he's going to show up. That's a given. He's going to show up. That's a fact. It's happening even now. You wonder, if you are who God says that you are, then provide evidence. What's the evidence to show that this message has so much life in it, that it's so much life that it could provide eternal life for those that will believe on the word that is being preached to you right now. He says, so what happens, the temptation is, I will do everything, the devil says, I will do everything in my power to disprove, the uh, to, to discount the validity of what God has spoken. Every prophecy that was given to me and you, every prophecy that, you see, the enemy wants to Ill illegitimize every prophecy, while God is going to legitimize every prophecy that was spoken. <clears throat> So we look at it this way. Can you handle temptation? Can you handle temptation? That's really the key. That's really the kicker. He gets us to a place where he says that <coughs> before you are ready to handle a particular temptation, he says, I must get you ready for it. But you must see yourself in the light of who I say that you are. You see, your humility. The Lord resides with those who have a contrite spirit and a broken heart and contrite spirit. He, contrite spirit and broken heart. He said, I'll bring you. I dwell among people who will humble themselves. He says, so now what happens, the temptation is, will you, will you try to prove that you're something more, or you prove the fact that you're what God say that you are because the devil said that you're not. Are you seeing something here? Or you say, the devil said that you're, you're, you see, he'll tell you, you're not saved. The devil will tell you, you're not all that. You're not really a man of God. You're not really a woman of God. And, and then if you try to prove it, you say, who's telling you to do it? The Lord had the power to do all those things, but who's telling him to do it? The Lord resisted the invitation to prove himself because he came from the wrong source. <laughs> so now, the temptations that come, you see, so true faith in God is proven when sincere humility is in place. It is when you, when you don't do things to try to prove yourself because when you try to prove yourself, that's still you. What he does, listen to what happened. We talk about temptation. What happens when temptation comes? I'm talking about even when it's premature, because our prayer is, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But temptations will come even before you prepare for them to come, those temptations. But this is what happens. I'm just talking about sinners now. I'm talking about saints. Temptations will come 
uh, uh, to, the, to all of us, oftentimes, when we're ill-prepared. But what this temptation will do, now understand, it came from the devil, but it's to bring to the surface those things that still remain in you. Whatever it is that still remains. We mentioned about going back to the thing. He says, the love of money, the root of all evil, and where many fall into all kind of snares, temptations and snares. What it does, it brings out of you what yet remains within you. You see, what happens, uh, you, you see, we think as we, we are objective, if we don't lose focus upon the objective, what is that? It, it's perfection. To be holy as I'm holy, that must be the objective. Now, what happens, there's going to be the enemy shows up, and we're tempted in various parts of our lives, and the Lord permits it. The Lord permits you to be tempted, but the temptation is to bring particular things to the surface. You say, Lord, I thought I'd overcome in that particular area. I thought I had gotten past this particular thing. I thought I had. It doesn't mean you're not saved. That meant that there's still some work that's yet to be done in your life. Now, what happens? So when you compare yourself to him, you, you say, yes, you're born again, but understand, you're, born, you're saved in order to be saved. There's, I believe in progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is that the work of God is not complete once you surrender your heart and your life to the Lord, but it's an ongoing work until we have arrived. As Paul said, I've not yet arrived, I've not yet attained, but I'm reaching towards something that's still before me. He says, so what happens? He begins to bring the service. He said, okay, this I'm going to do it. I'm going to purge you of certain things. You thought you had gotten over the anger. I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to put you in a, case, a situation where you're going to get the nastiest cashier uh, in, in the line, I mean in the store, and that cashier is going to push that last nerve. I'm going to get you in a traffic situation, and that person is going to push you. They're going to, the car is going to treat you, do a particular thing. And then what happens, it will bring out of you. Don't think it just came when it happened, when you reacted a particular way. That's still inside of us. That's still. So, so we have to be patient with one another because even when I'm treated a particular way, the first question that we must ask ourselves is what I see in them, does it reside? in me. You see, does that still reside in me? Because sometimes the people that rub you the wrong way are the people that act like you. <laughs> you something about you. Uh, but then, even if they don't act like you, that's still a, something that God is trying to show you, or he's trying to get you to overcome. So, what he'll do? I, I know it. I know it to be true. I said, Lord, uh, when is it ever going to? He says, but I'm teaching you humility. What does it mean? What does it mean to humble yourself, to, 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 to acknowledge the fact that I've not yet attained? I've not yet attained, neither am I perfect. Because if you think that you've attained and already perfect, then those reactions ought not ever be. You had a place where you just, when it happens, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> that, that's not the way I handle it. <laughs> I've not always handled it that way. Sometimes, you see, sometimes I find myself reacting. 
and sometimes even overreacting. And all God is telling me through that, he said, there's still some areas in your life. So then I ended up, and I said, Lord, and then I said, I'm not going to do it next time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to react. I'm not going to allow this thing to push me. I, have you been there? I'm not going to allow this person to push me. I'm not going to allow this thing to get on my nerves. And then it happens. And then you have a reality check. It comes out again. So what do you do? That, 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 that uh, indicates the need for d- deeper levels of humility. Because now I say, without you, Lord, look at the grace, without you, Lord, that's who I am. That's the person that I am. It's not I just did that. That's who, I, I did that because that's still in me. Now understand, grace of God being born again spiritually, I am proclaimed or I am declared by God as being perfected because of Jesus Christ, you see. The declaration of perfection is because of Christ. He looks at the end result before the process is complete. See, see, that's why we're called saints. We're saints because he looks at us as we will be. Because he says you're already seated in heavenly places, right? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. What are you doing sitting here? You, you, you see how some people go crazy? They say, well, I'm not sitting here. I'm in heavenly places. <laughs> I'm in Christ. And, and then you do something, you say, well, that's not me because after all, you know, I'm, you know that, that was just something that was from. You see what I mean? So when we really look at it as it really is, he looks at the here and now, but then he looks at the now and then because in God's economy, time is no longer. He looks at it from eternity's perspective. He looks at where you are. He works with us within time, Jesus Christ walking with us, but he looks at the finished product. He says, you are perfected in Christ. You are perfect in Christ. He says, I see you as the finished product. And if you keep focus on him, who is who? The author and the finisher of your faith. Then who Christ is, you will ultimately become. You will be like him. You will begin to give expression to the life of Christ so that now when they see you, they will see him. So understand what we understand in this is that new levels, new devils. <laughs> new levels, new devils. So, so he looks at, uh, I, I was reading one of those old Puritan books that it talks about two ships leaving the dock. One shall reach the harbor. Now, these, I paraphrased it because when you read these kind of books, they're kind of hard to, to you just can't quote them because it's too, the words and the language, the betwixt and betweens and the words are so, or uh, Lithobethian and other languages. But, but the two ships leaving the dock, one reaches the harbor and the other uh, is, is a shipwreck or castaway. Now, what happens, both have the same experiences. Both same experiences. They were both awakened. There were awakenings. Their awakenings were similar. The conv- but we're talking about the difference between the convictions of the reprobate, the terrorists to wean them from the world, to live a reformed life. What I mean by the reprobate living a reformed life, which means that he will uh, be in a place where he's, he's learning how to behave himself in public. 
He's learning how to keep sin in check. You see what I mean? Because, because there's such a thing as called sin management. Sin management is when you can, when they look at you, they can't tell you're a sinner because you know how to manage it. You gotta manage it well. Haven't you, you, let me tell you, I'm, I'm trying to give you an example of sin management. It's when you have a, uh, a snarl on the inside. But it takes discernment to see the frown on the, uh, the frown on the inside. You, gotta, you, gotta, you have a smile on the outside, brother, but it takes discernment to see the snarl on the, uh, on the inside. You know what I mean? Have you seen, have you seen, have you seen that? I know how to behave in public. Have you, uh, couples, uh, uh, here they are, uh, you're getting ready to go Academy Award or some big event, and then they're, they're, they're at it. They're cussing and cussing and everything else, and then the camera shows, dear. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they know how to perform. They know how to behave themselves. They know how to present themselves in public. They say, don't show anything but present yourselves as people that really have it all together. He said, and then when it's all over, he said, you can let it down now. Now let's go back at the fight. You see, that's sin management. I'm giving you a more a pronounced part of it, but it can be more subtle than that, you know. Sin management, well, well, I don't do this thing or that. And then you get to a place where even in sin management, you can get over certain things. You can overcome. And people think that they're saved when they get to the place where they can manage sin, they can manage sin. But understand what happens. You might have gotten over a particular thing, but, the, but, but, but understand, but the passion and desire still remains within the heart. It remains. I could tell you some stories on that too, but I, it may be too graphic. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're ready. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It was a person that was... Uh, uh, he, he, he was a sex addict, and he thought by being emasculated that he would, he would be delivered. So he said, I'm just going to, you know, your right hand offend you. What do you do? Cut it off. So he was emasculated. And then after being emasculated, he come to realize that it wasn't just a physical act. It was in his head. It was in his head. That was the point. So, so what happens, you see, even when a person loses the ability to function, if they've not overcome the sin, you see, that sin still remains within that individual regardless. And the same thing, that, that, that's graphic, but I'm just saying in various, uh, uh, I would say, degrees, that's what happens in many people's lives, is that they, 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 they stop doing a particular thing and think because they're no longer doing it that they've overcome, but, but the passion continues to burn within them. The lustful spirits and all those things remain. So, so I'm not saying that you'll not be tempted in various areas of your life, but we are saying that driving force whereby it occupies the majority of your time, energy, and space so that it becomes an obsession that is saying that something is malfunctioning within your life. The temptation comes, and Jesus was tempted at all points, even as we are. So the thought will come, but to overcome a thing is as a thought, but there's something greater than. There's a purpose that's greater than the temptation that comes our way. So you measure that based upon the greater. You see, I, I, I don't do this because I love God. <laughs> I don't do a particular thing because I love God more. I don't want to offend Him. I love Him. 
I, I, I love him so much that this is the way I live my life. You see, so, so that's what it is. It, it's not, I, I, I don't want to be caught. I don't want, you see, it's a whole different situation here. That's sin management. So two are going in the same way. One, but, but what happens, we begin to see that a reformed life is not enough, uh, not enough. Because when we live a reformed life, the relief is temporary, while the cure uh, leads to a path of permanence. We have to make sure that we get the cure to the situation and not just relief. With a doctor tell you to take two pills, take a, an aspirin, take two aspirins, and, and, and uh, you call me in the morning. That's just to, to cover the pain, but you're not dealing with the problem. You see, they gravitate in the direction of, of this is what happens when a person is at a place where he or she is, uh, uh, had not really gotten converted. They gravitate towards in the, in the direction of fleshly affirmations that cause their confidence in the flesh to soar to greater heights, thus leading them to a different course. We mentioned what happens now. They, they, they need affirmations. They need fleshly affirmations. There's something about the flesh because they, 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 their, their confidence in the flesh, they want to have greater levels of confidence within, in their flesh. You see, uh, the Lord, as I was meditating, began to show this with me, began to show me this. He said, even when you hear the Word of God, even hearing the Word of God, now this is really deep to me. He said, uh, to me, he said, you can study the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic, and everything else, and you understand words, but still not understand the meaning of the message. Did you hear me? This is God dealing with me. He said, you may understand the words, words, but you do not understand the meaning of the message. Now, to understand the meaning of the message, you have to have a different heart. You see, you see, the ones that are made to understand who will be made, who will be made to understand the message. You see, there has to be a conversion taking place in order for the message to really become, to make sense to an individual. And, and, and understand what I'm saying here. Uh, easy believism has become, in our day, it has is, it is become like an epidemic. It, 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 it is like a generation of unbelief. Who, uh, Jesus began to deal with it. When he comes, will he find any faith? In this generation, will he find faith upon the earth? So the thing is, it has become generational. Here's what I'm looking at. I'm saying, uh, we can do this. We can do this. I thought about it. I thought about it even. I thought about it. We can begin to, you remember, somebody, you, 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 can, you can set it up so that we can set up everything so regimented. Here, here, let me just give you an idea. I said, we started, what time we start service on Wednesday night? Seven o'clock? I want everybody that's a member of Cross Culture Church to be at 645. If you're a member, I want you to be at 645. If you're not here at 645, we're going to lock the doors at 7. We're going to lock the doors at 7. Now, now, now what happens, I'm teaching discipline, right? 
I'm teaching discipline. And I'm saying, and we're going to make a decision. We're going to determine as to whether you real or not, whether you believe or not, whether you like me or whether you like this ministry or not. We're setting this as a regiment in order to teach you a degree of discipline so that you can... Now, discipline is in order. There's, that can have its place. But watch what we're doing here. If we get everybody, the place is full at 645. Everybody's on their post. Everybody's doing... I want the ushers in place. I want the, everybody in place. Oh, people walking. I want every choir member. We want the choir. Everybody can sing. I want you in the choir. I want to fill the choir stand with voices, and we, we have a hundred-voice choir. We have a, everybody can play an instrument. I want you to be, we don't, we don't just put up with lightweight stuff. We want you to be skilled. If you, if you can't play well, we're going to give you some lessons to make sure that you play your instrument with excellence. And you, when people walk in, and everything is functioning the way it ought to function, uh, you see, and God is a God of excellence. You look at it, you say, boy, this must be the power of God, the Spirit of God moving in this place. Why? Because everything is in order. Everything, there's exactness. The time you get in at a particular time, you leave at a particular time, you can pretty much predict what is about to happen because we have, we have developed a well-oiled operation here. But what do we have? What do we have? That still doesn't necessarily mean that the Spirit of God is in this place, even though it would be impressive. And let me tell you something. If that were to happen, we would be set for growth because people like that kind of thing. They like that kind of structure, that kind of organization. I said some years ago, I said, well, we can do that or we can do the other. We still must make decisions. We still must, we still must challenge. And but I said, Lord, wouldn't it be much better if Every person that's a part of this ministry would come to that place where they have the heart of Jesus Christ and they have my heart as their leader. Are you hearing something? They have the heart of Jesus Christ and they hear me speak as the voice of Jesus speaking into their lives. They hear even those because when they hear my voice and they hear they hear. Cortland's voice, and they hear Francis' voice, they hear uh, Dr. Jennings, and all, they hear the voice of Christ, they hear the voice of Jesus Christ through those that are a part of this ministry. And now what happens when they hear the voice of Jesus Christ, they desire to align themselves with what God is in fact saying so much so that now they are eager and hungry for the Word of God. They're hungry to receive the things that God has in store. So, you don't tell them to come at 645. You have to pretty much tell them not to come at 6 o'clock. Are you seeing something here? You tell them, don't come at 6 because we have to get, see the ones that's working and preparing have to get things ready. They said, no, I want to be, I wish I could spend the night here. You see, I wish I could be with you guys. You see the difference? What has happened? Hearts are being joined together. It's not a regiment. You're not doing what you're forced to do at this particular juncture. You're doing what you will to do. Now watch what happens. Now, the band is in place. The hundred-voice choir is singing. 
Everything is happening the way it's supposed to happen. You walk into this place, there's a spirit of excellence. But there is a different spirit functioning. There is a different spirit functioning in this environment. But yet when you see, you see both appear through the eyes or through the lenses of individuals who would observe it as being one and the same. But the thing that's different is spirit. Am I talking to the choir? The thing that's different is spirit. So when the spirit of God arrests the hearts of the people and the word of God, not just the word of God, but the message of the gospel is received as the message of the gospel, the word from God to us, then God stirs the heart and the mind and he begins to cause the mind to be transformed. And there is a passionate desire that wells up within each individual so that you don't have to be policed. It doesn't take extrinsic motivation to get you moving. But inside of you, the Spirit of God will tell you, this is what you're to do. This is how you're to do it. This is how you're to move. And what happens, watch what happens now. And then God adds to that those that would be saved. A different organization. You see, the different structure. He said those that would be saved. So now a person comes in. You say, well, I, I, I've, been, I've been thinking. Conviction comes upon the life of an individual. You know, I've been wanting to know Christ. And, and I've been praying for him. And I've been seeking after him. And he said, somebody, and, and then the person, it just comes out of your mouth. It's not something you work at. Well, I need to go witness. So we're going to have 12 of you to go to, to West Side. We have 12 of you to go East Side. We want you to talk to 12 people, five, and here's your script. I want you to read your script. None of that. You say, let me share his life with you, the life that's within me with you. And what it does, it flows out. And there's a realness that connects to people's hearts. And they're drawn to Christ through you. So I'm giving you a picture because we talk about we talk about the immediate, we talk about the intermediate, we talk about the ultimate. Watch what we're talking about now. He said, this is the church that God would have his church to become. Now, I'm watching it, I'm watching my time here. He says, so now look at what happens here. We see marginalized Christianity or average Christianity, or what they call a Christianism is when you just do like the Joneses do. You do what everybody else is doing. But it's a whole different story when we have the mind of Christ and we hear the Word of God. We mentioned, not now, let's go back. In fact, I'm not going to get into this other part because it may uh, take more time. He says, so now, here's the issue, back to this thing of not hearing and understanding. Someone may say, as we think about God, this is what many people are confused with. God is too great to fully understand. That's too much of him. We, we talked about that last week. God is, is too much of him to fully understand. So, so, so here we are. Here we are. We, 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 we're to seek godliness. We're to seek holiness. We're to seek perfection. He said, be holy as I am holy. God is holy. Remember the vision, Isaiah saw him high and lifted up, train filled the, uh, the whole temple. They, he, he, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I've seen the Lord through a vision. And when we 
when we do not see him as he is, but we perceive him in our minds. He's either too little or he's too large. He's too little is when we can manage him. It's where we can manage the Lord, that he's too small. Well, Lord, when I need you, I'll call on you. <laughs> if I have a need for you, I'll, 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 I'll let you out the box and I'll cry out to you. Yeah, Lord, I want you to do such and such. In fact, send him on a mission. Lord, I want you to get this done for me. You know, would you stop by the store and pick me up a, a loaf of bread? <laughs> would you? Yeah, I know it sounds foolish, but that's really how he's treated. Would you, like Aaron boy, would you, would you bless, would you bless me? I, I need, I need a blessing. Would you uh, go over there and heal this person because they need a healing? And I need a healing now, Lord. I want you to, I mean, after all, Lord, look, I, I, look how many years I've saved you. I paid my tithe. Uh, I, I was at church on Christmas and I came on, uh, uh, they had a special program. I came to that too. So I'm doing much better than many of them that don't fool with you at all. There's so many folk out here don't have anything to do with you at all. He says, so Lord, when I tell you to do something, you ought to do it. You see, that's a God that's too little. That's a God that's too little because he becomes your errand boy and you can kind of tell him what you want. Call him up and tell him what you want. Put your order in uh, and, and don't forget the fries. <laughs> when you bring the delivery, don't forget the fries that I want a, I want a Coke. Uh, you say, you said to me. So, so now that's the God that's too little. But then the others were large. So, so large, He is so large that you cannot comprehend Him. His expectations are so great that whatever I do, I can't measure up to Him anyhow. So why even bother? He's too. He's too great. God is too big. He is too big, so therefore, why bother? He ain't satisfied with anything I do. I try the best. I try to live the best I can, but everything I do is not good enough. So he's too great to fully understand. So therefore, he's too much. He is too much to give our attention to. So therefore, look at the conclusion. You would give your attention to what you can more easily understand. This is easier for me to understand. Therefore, the God that many serve is not the God of the Bible. It's not the God. Either he's too small or he's so big that you just figure that there's nothing you can do anyhow. He's not. He's too big. I mentioned the other day, but God is larger than you think he is. Even when you say stupid, he's larger than that. But he's, his concern is so precise and so detailed that he's concerned about every little thing that concern you. Now, I'll cover this next time, but we begin to look in the book of Job because Job proves that, doesn't he? Uh, I'll start it so far. Uh, began to urge Job to repent. And he said in the 11th chapter, 7th verse of Job, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens. What can you do? And they're deeper 
than see what can you perceive. So there we begin to see God is being so big. He is so big that uh, why uh, he's telling Job, rather, he said, Job, you need to repent. You need to repent because he said, God, what can you do? He's deep in the shore. What can you know? What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons, and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? He said, an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey's coat is born a man. I, I, I'm putting away because I see my time here. <laughs> he said, when a wild coat becomes a man. He said, he said so he said, God is, is just, God is too much. He said, so Job, you have no business. He's really telling Job, you have no business even dealing with that. So in other words, you did something. You did something. That's why you're uh, suffering the way you're suffering. There are some offenses here, you see, but you don't see God. <laughs> you don't see God. You don't see God as he is. Now, 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 watch what happens now. There was something happening behind the scene, wasn't it? Behind the scenes was a conversation between the devil and God. God does not tempt us with evil. But because of the fact that Job was the most upright man in his time, the devil uh, was looking for somebody. He looking to and fro. What are you doing, devil? To and fro there, looking for someone. I'm going to knock him out, take care of him. He said, will you consider, watch this, my servant, <laughs> Job, Will you consider my servant Job? Will you consider? Have you considered him? Wait a minute, wait a minute, God. You're going to let the devil have his way with Job? And he has served you faithfully? He is the most upright man. That's why. <laughs> because I know him. <laughs> I know him. I know this much about Job. Is when all that you shoot at him, when you did all that you can against him, even when his friends turn against him, when the people that he loved, when his wife began to tell him to curse God and die, when all these things happen to him, I know what's going to happen. Even he may stumble, but he's going to get back up. And he's going to be stronger after he has gone through than he was before. Have you considered my servant, Joe? Look at Have you considered my servant, Earl? Have you considered you, my servant, have you considered my servant, Janet? You see, you, you say, wait a minute, devil. What in the world are you doing? You, you calling the Lord say it. Have you considered? Because the Lord don't even put inside of you. <laughs> he said, I know what I put inside of He said, it can withstand the test. It can withstand the pressure. Whatever the devil shoots their way. He said, watch what happens. Even though they might question me, when it's all said and done, they're going to always turn to me for the answer. 
And when they turn to me, guess what? I'm going to restore to them everything that they might have lost in the process. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor because there are so many things that have happened to us. And when they happen, it's hard for us to comprehend them. We don't know why things happen the way they happen, but, Lord, there's something you're doing that's much greater. So we trust you before we fully understand what's really going on. So thank you, Lord, for this word because we need it. And may it reach the deep recesses, recesses of our hearts so that when we are tested, we'll come forth and when we are tried, we'll come forth as pure gold. We give you the praise, the honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm watching this clock wrong. I'm just looking at, we have some more eight minutes, but that's the time and not. <laughs> but praise God for you. We, we, we just uh, praise God for this time. And I want you to take to heart what God has been saying to us here tonight. I believe he's giving us some food to eat on, to feast upon, even through the challenges that we face going forward. So those of, I see members here, but there could be some people here that's watching that have not given your heart, your life to the Lord. If you're in the house, by all means, we offer you that opportunity to come to Christ. But then those that are watching, there's a space online. Let us know that you want to know him, and we're here to minister to you. And uh, if you're without a church home, we invite you to become a part of this ministry. And we believe that, in fact, we know that if you take to heart what God is saying, you'll grow in the things of God. You'll grow. And that's the most important thing, is that you'll develop into who God would have you to become. So uh, fill it out. Let us know who you are. And if you're here, we just pray, Lord, for you that's here faithfulness among your people. Lord, I just pray that we'll understand the message, not just the words, but the message, that the message will take root within each heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts to give unto the Lord as we honor him in faith, as we present to him his tithe and offering unto the Lord. And it is his faithfulness that we respond to. As God is faithful to us, let us be faithful to him. So speak to each heart, Lord. As we respond in faith to you, we thank you for this time together. And we pray, Lord, we commend your people to you, Lord, that you keep them, that you hold them together, that each will grow in proportion to what they're being fed. So in this, Lord, we give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in, there's information on the screen as to how you might give, but if you're in the house and you do not have an envelope in front of you, you can raise your hand. The ushers will serve you and consider yourselves dismissed as we prepare to depart from this place. Amen.